everyone, and welcome to episode four of Trash and Treasury. On today's episode in Treasury, we will be discussing pyramid schemes. Also, the related scheme, MLMs. It's a doozy, so join us for the ride. And then for our trash segment, we're going to be having a beautiful, nostalgic walk down memory lane with everyone's favourite mother and daughter, Gilmore Girls. I can't wait for Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Those who know us and know me particularly, this is my favourite show of all time. So it's, it's going to be a good episode today. But first things first, we're going to get stuck straight into Pyramids Games. You've probably heard the term Pyramid Games. Basically, what it refers to is sort of a company structure where someone at the top is making a lot of money by recruiting people into this sort of cult where they have to recruit other people. And sometimes it can also be called multi-level marketing, which is legal, whereas pyramid schemes are illegal. And there's a very fine line of difference between the two, which basically in an illegal pyramid scheme, there's actually no product being sold to a real customer. It's all just about recruiting people. And that's the only money circulating is coming from the bottom levels of the pyramid. Mm. And then in a multi-level marketing Allegedly, there's actually real customers who are also buying products, even though there's still very strong incentives for also recruiting new people into the pyramid. There is has to be still some element of uh, external sales. But basically, in reality, the way multi-level marketing is set up is you really do have a lot of incentive to buy your own products and you have to buy your own products because you have to be able to have them to sell them. And basically, if you've ever seen like a message which is like, hey, like I've got this really exciting opportunity. Do you want to make heaps of money by just like working one hour a week from (laughs) home? It's easy. It's probably going to be an MLM. It's pretty crazy. Like what they do to recruit. It's really sad, honestly. But, um, you know, in how they they use techniques, they they prey on people who are vulnerable and things like that, people who are desperate or want something, you know. And also very smart people can get involved in these. Like not all pyramid schemes look the same. You know, it's not all uh, snake oil salesmen really obviously selling you a pyramid scheme. Like they come in all shapes and sizes. Mm. There's a key concept, I suppose, uh, in the pyramid scheme world and MLMs. It's called the money sunk fallacy. I don't know if you've heard of this one, but it's um it's basically a concept where if you put money into something, so an investment, gambling, any but pretty much anything, it's like if you've gone and you've put a whole bunch of money in, well you've already gone this far, so you you may as well keep going. So you may as well just double down and keep going. Yeah. They ask you to get a starter pack. And then once you get the starter pack, you've only got If it's makeup, for instance, you've only got two colors of foundation. But, you know, if you're going to sell to everybody, you need heaps and heaps of stock. And um, they constantly validate you for achieving levels. So people move up very, very quickly in these levels. So you might move from like, you know, regional salesperson to like regional manager to like leader of regional management to like something, something, something else. But to hold your status, you need to still be purchasing the same amount of product. So what people do is then end up with a huge supply of product that they don't ever sell just to keep their status. And that is the money sunk fallacy because Mm. what they push and what they perpetuate is that 
it's your, it's you who's not succeeding. It's you. It's not the company. It's not the product. It's you. And if you can't sell, then you've got something wrong. You're not working hard enough. Like they, they, they totally capitalize on shame. And the other thing is they also make it just seem like really obvious, like you just need to recruit five people. And then those five people will recruit five other people. Then you've got 25 people in your downline and then they'll all recruit five and you'll just easily become rich. Exactly. But you can only do that cycle 13 times and then you would exceed the population of the earth. That is the best statistic um, for pyramid schemes. Yeah. It's like the best way to make people understand it because it's like market saturation is the key difference in a pyramid scheme or an MLM that is different to a business. So it's very hard for people to identify the difference sometimes. But I suppose if you think about like with pyramid schemes, if you, if you actually do what they tell you to do, you, there would be nobody left on the planet to sell to like there's literally and that's yeah assuming that everyone in the planet wants to join assuming that everyone wants this <laughs> and everyone's gonna fall for it there's an example in a podcast called the dream which i'll touch on later in my recommendations as well that i know you've listened to but they they mm. talk to a woman who's actually quite successful in her region and she has like 170 people in her downline but she still only makes a, a sort of medium amount of money like a medium salary um there's no ferraris there's no lamborghinis as they all promise um but anyway so you usually have to be at the top to be earning some pretty serious money the big difference that they've done now is take a, take on influencers and influencers unlike the average joe blogs has 10,000, 100,000 followers. So of course, they've got an inbuilt market already and they will sell and they will possibly do quite well. But then they become sort of like a sideways branch that actually does make heaps and heaps of money. If you are not a successful, successful influencer with all of these people following you and everyone following in your footsteps, you will not make money. You will not make the amount of money that they make. Like, <laughs> no, and 99% of people in a multi level marketing scheme will lose money. Yeah. Not even not make money, will lose money. Um, so, do you have an example you're going to talk about of a particular scheme? I do. So, this is a uh, this is a personal example from a friend of mine, and she uh, is happy for me to talk about it and also use her first name. So, this is my friend Candice. So, basically, she was 18, working in a phone shop when a customer comes in, and um, he basically said, "You've got a great sales manner." Like, would you be interested in a business opportunity? And at this point, you know, she's 18. She had a lot of bills to pay. She'd recently moved out of home. So they set up a meeting and they met up in the pancake parlor (laughs) at Fountain Lakes or Fountain Gate, whichever one isn't the Kath and Kim one. I can't remember. (laughs) Anyway, and he basically handed her a brochure that you would expect from like a lone preacher at a train station. (laughs) Shout out to Flinders Street. Um, Mm. (laughs) So very sort of odd, wordy, cult-like wording, paraphernalia. And she was like, oh, okay, I think, I think I see what's happening here. (laughs) And she was like, I've fallen into a little bit of a, maybe a trap here. But she was like, look, I'll check it out. Um, she did actually like their product. So that was one thing that she said. So she's, they, they were selling energy drinks. Um, okay. So this company sells lots and lots and lots of things now, but at that time they were sort of energy drinks. And she, she spoke to me that, um, 
you know, at the time, Jaeger bombs and like for pre-drinks were pretty exciting. So instead of having like right. Red Bull, she'd have these crazy energy drinks and she could get them at wholesale price. So she was interested in the product. Um, She didn't really want to sell. But so she went to a conference. They're sort of these rituals where they have, I guess, a motivational speaker. I can't believe she went to the conference. Yeah, well, I think she... I don't think she knew what it was. She said they, I think it was told to her as an info session. So she's like, all right, I yeah. guess I'll go. I'll check it and she out. was yeah, like, yeah. oh, look, not sure. It's, it's not about. really where I live. These people. So it was a man and, and actually his wife. Um, so his partner befriended Candace and picked her up from her house from the other side of town and drove her to this conference. And she was like, all right, I guess I'll come like and see. But she was always like, I could always say no. Like, I don't feel pressured to say yes. Anyway, so she gets she gets yeah. to the conference and they were all locked inside, just like a movie. <gasps> yes. What do you mean? Really, really, really. So she said, I turned around and they're, they're locking the doors. They, they locked the doors. No. They wouldn't let us out. No. She's like, no one kicked up a stink. No one kicked up a stink, but they locked the doors. They There were people at the, do- at the door. Because the thing is, other people, it's not necessarily that people... I suppose can't leave. If you made a scene, you could probably leave. But they discourage you from leaving um, and invite you to go back in. And they say that it's the reason is because it's exclusive. And so you don't want other people to come in. So that's why they lock their doors. But it's still really creepy and scary. So she was like, what the bloody hell? Are you serious? So anyway, so she gets locked inside. They have this conference and she's like, eh, like, I don't know how I feel about this whole thing. Like, she was pretty smart, but she was still, uh, you know, 18. She didn't quite know what a pyramid scheme was. She just thought it was a bit odd. Yeah, right. But this turns back to what we were talking about before is that um, they really market on social pressure, politeness and, um, you know, people's friendship and vulnerability. And so, uh, you know, these people were very nice to Candace, they really liked her. They befriended her. They'd have her over for dinner. They'd talk about their families, their family history and all this sorts of stuff. Uh, and she really bonded wow. with these people. And she said they constantly kept recruiting. And she said, look, I just don't have two cents to scrape together. She's like, I don't even have money for the startup kit. She's like, you don't understand. I, I really don't have any money to even have a startup kit. They're like, we'll lend you the money. And she's like, no, like I can't. Wow. She said, yeah. She said, I can't pay you back. She said, I can't. And they're like, but, you know, you'll get so much money. This is a solution to all your financial problems. And this is the risk of people going into debt. Luckily, this didn't happen to Candace. She was smart enough um, to not put money up for it. But also she was just in such a financial position that she couldn't. So she couldn't have that startup cost. Like imagine if she had and how deep she would have got. But basically. Yeah, thank God she dodged a bullet. Yeah, and so after about a year um, and she still kept saying no, they were driving her somewhere and they basically stopped the car and, and like, gave her a, like, full-on talk and were like, you know, we've done all of these things for you. We've done all of these things. You know, we take you here, we provide you dinner and we take you to conferences, we pick you up, we drop you off, like, and you haven't even bought the startup kit. Like, we're going to level with you. You pretty, you, you basically need to sign up or, like, that's it. And she was like, again, I like the product, but I can't sell for you. I don't want to sell for you. And I've been very clear about that. I don't have money for this. And they're like, well, give us back all our stuff. So DVDs, books and stuff. And then she was wow. like, so she had to give it all back to them. And um, she was like, I didn't think that they 
like, why would they care about getting this shit back? Like DVDs, books, and she well because they need it to get the next. They person. need it to get the next person. Also, they pay for it, so they pay for that stock. And so, if they didn't convert someone with that stock, they need it back. Yeah, it's so interesting how manipulative it is. It's like so... a lot of people do talk about the sense of belonging, and they also target a lot of like stay-at-home mums because it is they convenient. Do. They do, and like for a sense of belonging. Like all cults, really. And that was the really sad part about the story is, you know, she realised uh, later what it was. At that time, she still didn't quite jerry what was happening. Um, but she did eventually understand it. And then she was like, yeah, but it was really sad because I really liked these people and I really thought they liked me, but actually it was all fake. And um, that was really wow. sad. And she said, what I hate about this whole thing is that it can drive a wedge in communities, drive a wedge um, in friendships and families. And Pyramids Games will tell you, of course not, you're forming bonds for life, but you alienate people. You alienate people yeah. because you're putting pressure on them, you're forcing them to do something yeah. they don't want to do, but because they like you, they feel obligated to do it. And yeah. it's just uh, it's, it's just really horrible. What about you, Grace? What's your example? I'm going to talk about Herbalife. Oh, yes. Which is like a protein shake, weight loss kind of thing from the 80s. <laughs> and it's actually um, Orange is the New Black used it for when Alayda gets out of prison and she's in a shopping yes! centre and someone's like, you've got the a protein really powder voice. <laughs> yeah. And it really reminded me of what you said they said to your friend Candace. Yeah. And it's really funny. Later in Orange is the New Black because she sees the same woman being like telling someone else they have a really commanding voice. <laughs> Basically, it's like... Yeah, kind of random vitamins and protein powders. And there was, like, this case against it in the 80s and basically, like, the FDA or someone is like, this product has, like, limited health effects and this is what the guy said back. I think if they're so expert in weight loss, why were they so fat yesterday? It seems to me, and I'm not trying to make any jokes, but I do think that they ought to use our product. Anyway, it's basically like the same old story as all of these, like the only people, the only way to actually make money from it is like from recruiting Mm -hmm. and the only people that would actually buy the products are people in the scheme who are trying to buy it at wholesale, who are trying to bolster their recruitment. Like no one just normal would buy it. (laughs) Exactly. And then interestingly, five years ago, a company decided like to take Herbalife down. And you would think it would be like some sort of like lefty do-gooder company that's like, this is unethical, but it was a hedge fund. It was a hedge fund. It was a hedge fund. So a hedge fund, basically, have you seen the movie The Big Short where basically they bet against the stock market? (laughs) This movie has been brought up to me so many times and no, I haven't seen it. It's on the list, but I do really do need to watch it because everyone references it all the time. Yeah. Well, for your benefit then and our listeners that haven't seen it, it basically (laughs) discusses the concept of shorting the market, which is basically to bet. Usually if a product does well, your stocks raise and this is betting against stuff. So they bet against the house market and this hedge fund bets against Herbalife because it's like Herbalife is a rubbish company. It's worth nothing. Like we're going to invest in it crashing and I'm going to like take it to the FDA. Yeah. And because it's a pyramid scheme. Mm. And they did like a five-year investigation into it, but it didn't really work. Right. So the FDA's final report, they like, everyone's like, is it a pyramid scheme? And they're like, look, we're not like focused on labels. Like they basically said that. But it's like, you know, the difference is really low. And they gave them a $200 million fine because... 
Basically, like, as I said in the introduction, the difference between a pyramid scheme and multi-level marketing is whether there's actually external customers buying the product. That's the difference. And Herbalife wasn't able to prove the percentage of sales from outside the pyramid. They're like, we don't keep our data in that granular level. Um, So they got a $200 million fine, but the company's stock price is rising and rising and so the hedge fund has lost a lot of money trying to bring them down. So do you mean like people outside the downline buying the product? Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. Right. So are they actually selling it to customers and not just selling right. it to like other Interestingly, on, on that, um, there are companies who are quite successful um, that do sell products online uh, or advertise products as well, but they still use... Uh, direct sales, network sales, uh, multi-level marketing techniques um, as a big portion of what they do. So it's not necessarily that they're exclusively doing that, but they're still using techniques and methods which can get people into strife. So Tupperware actually have a good enough product that people buy it. But they, I agree. But they still yeah, use. Exactly. Tupperware's got a really good reputation. But they still use direct sales, uh, multi-level marketing techniques uh, as a portion of their, their income. I believe. And also um, in the dream, which the podcast covers, you know, there's lots of people in small communities where this is the only fun gathering that happens and you you feel a little bit ostracized if you don't go. I remember my mum hosted a lingerie party when I was like 10 (laughs) and it was so fun. They are fun. We were there as well and mum and all her friends are like putting on these leopard print bras like and it was like a great time. They are. They are. And, um, you know, once off, if, if you don't get sucked in and you don't drink the Kool-Aid, fun. Totally fun. Totally harmless. Totally harmless. You know, if it's a one-off, if, if, if you're not drinking the Kool-Aid. But probably behind that party was an MLM or a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's very, I think we all have been invited or gone to some sort of party like that. Mm-hmm. So to finish up the segment, I have a little rant planned. <laughs> okay, please go ahead. <laughs> Official rant time. I suppose what I want to say is that, you know, if whether these pyramid schemes, MLMs are illegal or not illegal, whether it's a pyramid, an MLM, or whether you're an aeroplane passenger, you know, these are everywhere. Um, So there are many, many smart, wonderful, intelligent, kind people who fall into these schemes because that is exactly what they prey on. Sales in politeness and social pressure. So if you're a kind person, you know, Sometimes this is exactly what you can fall victim to, you know, and don't take our word for it. You know, we, again, for legal reasons, all of this is what we found on the internet. We are not experts. Do your own research. Look it up. It's all there. Mm -hmm. But hopefully this has um, given you an insight into what to look out for and understand the key pieces of information to help you identify if you or a friend is in a pyramid scheme. And so if this is a friend or, or if this is you, cut your losses. Remember that if you have put some money in already, that that's okay. Not all investments pay off. And before you get in too deep, get the f*** out. <laughs> and look, all you have to do is share our podcast with five other people. And if those <laughs> exactly. five other people share our podcast <laughs> with five other people, everyone, you know, we can spread the word. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's Pyramid Schemes. Thank you for the PSA. And now I want to go over to Stars Hollow. Let's talk Gilmore Girls. Oh, let's do it. Let's absolutely do it. If you're out on the road, 
feeling lonely and so cold. All you have to do is call my name and I'll be there on the next train. Where you leave, I will follow anywhere that you tell me to. If you need, you need me to be. <laughs> oh, this is just the most beautiful. It's such beautiful a good song. Carol King is a beautiful oh. woman, the Taylor Swift of her time. <laughs> the Taylor Swift of her time. <laughs> and yet, and here we hear Taylor Swift again. We should have like some sort of clock on how many like um, times she gets mentioned in our podcast. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was a beautiful moment to share that theme song again it just it brings back memories of you know just such nostalgia with this show it's very it's a very hard show to summarize um you know one that's brought so much personal joy to me over the years it's just a standard premise. it's your favorite show of all time isn't it's it? it's my favorite show of all one. time it's number one um it's a st- and you love tv so it's your favorite of your favorite category of things <laughs> Important note. Um, it's a standard premise. It's a mother and daughter who are close in age because Lorelai got pregnant at 16. Her parents are rich and wanted her to get married and get put on the rich people conveyor belt. So she left home and moved to a tiny picturesque town with lots of colourful characters and adorable moments aplenty. Lorelai's shtick is that she loves coffee and she wanders around town making witty commentary. <laughs> so true. <laughs> making- that is like a key feature of her It's a key feature. That she loves coffee. It's like in absolutely like several times every episode and um she wanders around town making witty commentary about everything that happens and everyone loves her dearly because she's beautiful she's a single mum, and she runs the town in um her daughter rory is a nerd they have a wonderful relationship but like rory sucks so no more synopsis on her um (laughs) a few main characters are the grumpy but gorgeous diner owner luke danes rory's best friend lane who has a very strict korean mum. Kirk, the town goody two-shoes who adores the town mayor called Taylor and appears to work in every extraneous job around town. He he has a different job in every episode. (laughs) Um, Lorelai's parents, Emily and Richard Gilmore, who are very rich and fancy and they have lots of hashtag tension and resentment with Lorelai. There's an array of other wonderful characters, but there are too many to cover, so you'll just have to watch the show to understand the magic if you haven't seen it. Um, and then, so after things, there's seven seasons and then after it all finished up, um, you know, people were, you know, kind of not happy with the ending. They sort of didn't love it. Um, the creators were fired after season five or they left and they got different showrunners. So basically all the fans and this cult following that Gilmore Girls, uh, got, they, uh, joined Netflix and in the last couple of years they made a four-part Netflix series called A Year in the Life. Yeah, so it came out in 2016 and it had a pretty polarising reaction when it came out. Yes. And I remember hating it, but I watched it again just recently as part of our important podcast research. It's very <laughs> tough running a podcast. <laughs> and it wasn't as bad as I remembered. There was this heinous, heinous 15 minutes, though. So I've mentioned on this podcast before that I love musicals. I love musical episodes. Yes. I love musical theatre. I love musical songs. You do? There is a 15-minute straight, say, like, part of the revival where they just show 
a musical oh about my the god town. it's the worst and they bring it was Sut- the worst thing ever and none of the characters are in it they bring Sutton Foster on so Sutton Foster was like in a different show that Amy Sherman Palladino was running yeah. called Bunheads yeah but like I didn't know that you were the only one at our Netflix Gilmore Girls watching party that knew what was going on. And the followers was like, who watch Gilmore this? Girls? There are people who know this, but yeah, it's it's niche. I'll give you that. <laughs> it was really niche and it was really boring. Except watching it again, she is in younger, so I was like, oh, I kind of have some connection to knowing who you are from a different show. So this is not as terrible. And I also enjoyed like where they do a rip up of a Hamilton rap song. <laughs> but apart from that. It was way too long and, like, what the hell were they thinking? It was four movie-length episodes. They probably could have stuck with four normal-length episodes. I think they lost a bit of their magic of just telling a story in 40 minutes that they had in the show. It just didn't have the magic anymore. Like, it was very, very different, although I think because our expectations were so high, like, even preparing for this episode, I didn't even re-watch it just because I remember having such a visceral reaction of hating it and that they just completely um, butchered the magic of Gilmore Girls. I mean, the last two seasons of Gilmore Girls were um, are well known as being kind of the most sad or like crap seasons. So season six and seven. Um, so I suppose they didn't end on a great note anyway. But the reason that they had the revival was so that Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, um, who created Gilmore Girls, could actually have the ending that they always wanted. And they always planned. But it's really interesting because it's 10 years later. They only play, they, yeah, they always planned the last line of the show. Let's act it out. Yep. Mom. Yeah? I'm pregnant. <gasps> End. <laughs> so it's kind of like coming full circle because obviously the show is about Lorelai getting pregnant at 16. But this was the ending but they planned so for Rory dumb. as a 23 year old. Now she's like 32. So it's she's like, she's 32. Yeah. It's completely normal that she's pregnant. Literally no one cares. No one yeah. freaking cares. Oh, makes me so angry. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> and so, like, all your favourite things are there. Yeah. But the main overarching storyline was disappointing, I think, is fair to say. And it was very interesting, actually. Um, so Rory has, like, three main loves during the show yes so she has dean her first boyfriend jess the bad boy and then logan her college boyfriend Mm -hmm. and a lot of the commentary in the lead up to the revival was like who did rory end up with and amy sherman palladino did like a really good interview where she was like um how embarrassing for you if you like get back with your boyfriend you had when you were 16 like that's so lame like don't we care if rory's like won a Pulitzer or which newspaper is she working at? Like, why are we talking about which high school boyfriend she gets with? And I was like, true that. But then the actual show dropped and it was all about her old boyfriends and she's sleeping with Logan who's engaged. It's like, have you learned nothing about being the other woman? And I mean, yes, there are some things that were nice, like Lorelai and Luke finally got their wedding. Maybe you could just rewatch the Lorelai scenes. Yeah. There's probably someone that's done that on YouTube, just like created them all for you. They have, absolutely. Um, I forgot to mention another main character uh, in Gilmore Girls is Suki St. James. So this is the chef at the inn who's Lorelai's best friend, who's actually played by Melissa McCarthy. And this was one of yeah. her very, very first acting gigs. And she is so gorgeous in this show. Um, she's beloved by the town. She's kind of a silly um, 
chef, but she's just always very, very happy and very, very sweet. Like that's that's her character. She does not shit in a sink. She's very different to her <laughs> more recent roles. <laughs> she doesn't shit in the sink. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know that but reference, that's, Bridema- that's Bridesmaids. <laughs> That's Bridesmaids. So not to be confused with her character in Bridesmaids. That's right. Am I crying or laughing? Laughing. Good. So what was your favourite episode? Definitely the season four finale. So Lorelai and Suki have just opened the Dragonfly Inn, which was like their lifelong dream to open and run an inn together. Um, and they're having this little weekend where they're doing a test run. So you've got all of the little town characters including Lorelai's parents who are fighting and they're all staying at the hotel. So there's lots of little beautiful moments. And then there's also a storyline with um, Luke and Lorelai, who are sort of the main love story of the show. And they have a bit of a like, they have really bad communication though. Like for someone that talks a lot, Lorelai has bad communication in her relationships with Luke. I guess Luke doesn't talk at all. So no, isn't it like Luke's a man of few words. Isn't it like in the inner year in the life or something about um, when they, they're finally together and, and he says something like, um, yeah, we talked about kids five years ago. And he's like, she's like, I don't remember that. He's like, yeah, I pointed to the kid and I said, that's the kid. And she's like, how does that mean you want kids? He's like, I just thought you would have picked that up. And then she's like, and you never brought it up again in like six years? Oh, I swear to like, God, like, I mean, I know that that's like really stereotypical, but it's also very believable. <laughs> like, just That's true, I guess. That is just true. Just a, a um, cliche um, sort of ma- male character who's not super communicative. <laughs> True. But what takes this episode to like the Hall of Fame for I think every Gilmore Girl fan is the storyline of Rory. So she's come home from college and her first boyfriend from high school, Dean, is now married. And he comes over to her house to borrow some CDs. But really, they just have this moment where earlier they kiss and she ends up losing her virginity to him. And Right afterwards, Lorelai comes home. You know, it's a bit awkward. Dean leaves and Lorelai looks in her room and sees that her doona's all rumpled and she's like, oh, my God. And Rory's like, I know, you know, look, we use protection. So, like, all of your Trojan jokes really worked. Yeah. <laughs> and Lorelai's like, Rory, he's married. And she just calls her on it. Like, she yeah. is like, how could you do that? Like, he has a wife. And he's like, Rory's like, Rory is trying to defend it. She's like, you know, they're not happy. And Lorelai's like, has he moved out? And it's just like, and she's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, really don't be horrible. that person. This is, um, this is, yeah, these are um, also my two favorite episodes as well. And so it's super fresh. I just rewatched so them. Good, aren't they? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And um, in the episode five, f- very first episode, the opener is actually from Dean's perspective, and Dean is listening mm. to the conversation from outside and then he goes home and see like to see his wife who's just like really trying to save their marriage and like he's all angry and rude to her because he know like he's guilty you know he's he's really done the wow, wrong thing i forgot that yeah it's really sad um, really sad yeah and so rory basically they have this fight and rory yells at her mom like i hate you for ruining this for me and she runs out to the front of the house and she goes to call dean and his wife answers the phone and so she like hangs up and she bursts into tears and like realizes what she's done. And, yeah. Like, the episode ends with the front door just opening and you just see Lorelai's legs come out and she like walks towards her to go comfort her and the episode ends and the season yeah. ends. And they have they have some oh. problems after that. Like that's put a rift between her and Lorelai for some time. Um, there's also um, <laughs> that these last two episodes. So the the season four last two episodes begin with 
Luke's sister Liz having a beautiful wedding um, that's Renaissance themed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so cute. And um, that's like the kind of first time that he asks her out. He's like, do you want to come to the wedding with me? And she's like, okay. And she looks beautiful and he looks beautiful. And um, so there's a beautiful moment where they're playing a song by the same person who does all the theme guitar music for Gilmore Girls and it's just yeah it's really gorgeous and they're having this dance and Luke would never ever do something like that which brings me to one of my favorite scenes which um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you all Luke can waltz? Luke can waltz. Look how you just said Luke can waltz. What? I'm just saying I'm surprised that Luke can waltz. That sounded more like I'm surprised I still have my clothes on. Oh, stop. That sounds like dating to me. But maybe he didn't mean it as a date thing. Maybe he just needs to get out of the house. And since I'm currently one of the women sitting home thinking if I could only find a man like Aragorn, he picked me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's, it's gorgeous. They finally get together at the end of the season four when she's opening the inn and Luke gets angry because he thinks that she's backdating her ex-boyfriend and she's like, I'm not. Like, he just, like, came here randomly. I don't even want him here. And then he's like, fine. And the very cute line, please just stand still. And they have this beautiful kiss. So what's your favourite love story apart from Lorelai and Luke? Um, no, it is Lorelai and Luke. There's more to be said on Lorelai and Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll give you my favourite Lorelai and Luke moment because okay. it hasn't been covered yet. It's the episode where Rory is graduating school and going to college and there's a karaoke night. So Lorelai sings Rory, I Will Always Love You, the Dolly Parton version, not the Whitney Houston version. Yes. And so she starts singing to Rory and then quite early into the song, Luke walks in and from the moment he walks in, her eyes do not come off him and she sings the rest of the song directly to him. So beautiful. But also it's and so like, sad because they're broken up at this point. And it's so sad. Yep, they're broken up at this point. And actually Dolly Parton wrote the song about um, when her and her manager broke up. They were in a band and she went off to do her own solo song. So it is like a breakup song about I Will Always Love You, but we're yeah, not going to be together. so sad. Um, but also that song does get them back together because the chemistry between them was so obvious. Like the whole town, including Luke's sister and everyone is like that song. Like, are you guys together yet? He's like, I don't know. She's just singing a song. It was karaoke night. And they're like, <laughs> no. Like she was singing that song. Like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was a good moment. My favourite moment is, um, is this little one. Then she opened up the newspaper to the horoscope page, wrote something down, tore it out handed it to me. So I'm looking at this piece of paper in my hand and under Scorpio she had written you will meet an annoying woman today. Give her coffee and she'll go away. I gave her coffee. But she didn't go away. She told me to hold on to that horoscope, put it in my wallet and carry it around with me. One day, bring me luck. Kept this in your wallet? Eight years. Eight years. Lorelai, this thing we're doing here, me, you, I just want you to know I'm in. I am all in. It's just so gorgeous, and it was just exactly what we all needed. We waited five seasons for this, <laughs> you know, yeah, or four, yeah. four seasons for it. But it was just, yes, yeah, so beautiful. So, who do you th- who do you think Rory should have ended up with? Well, like as Amy Sherman Palladino said, 
Who cares? But also I will answer because <laughs> obviously Jess. Really? Because obviously. You don't think no. so? As much as I love Milo Ventimiglia, who plays Jess, um, especially in This Is Us, um, I think she should have ended up with Logan. I don't reckon the others fit. Like, Jess was so dark and broody. He was so freaking rude. He just up and left her all the time. Yeah, that was when he was 15, but he comes back as a 35-year-old and is, like, pretty awesome in the revival. And, oh, like, I forgot about the revival. Some sense into her. Yeah, I forgot about the revival. I do agree with you, her and Logan were good, but also Logan's engaged to another woman, so, like, not cool. Not cool in the revival, but again... I don't know. Logan, uh, Jess was really cool and I thought they had really good chemistry. Dean, she really didn't have any chemistry with. He was just a really nice guy. So I no. always felt really bad for Dean. He was like the Duncan Kane of Veronica Mars. Like, yeah, people didn't, they weren't, um, you know, cheering for them. Maybe in season one, but definitely not in season two or three. He just like goes off. He does his own thing. She's clearly like just chasing after him. The time when he had got a black eye because he was attacked by a swan, which was really funny. Um, he goes to <laughs> he goes to um, Emily Gilmore's house and she's really nice to him and he's a total dick. And then he storms out and leaves dinner. Like he's just, he's so rude. He's honestly so he rude. He is stroppy and he's got like the whole. Oh, yeah, I just, I don't like it. Thing. He's just honestly so rude. Although like he was dreamy for a bit. Um, he just he was too flawed for me, and he doesn't fit. I agree. He was rude in the Danceathon episode, where he's just like sitting on the sidelines with his new girlfriend, staring at Rory all night, and like, yeah. how is his new girlfriend putting up with that? Yeah, and she was with Dean at that point, but then Dean publicly breaks up with her on the dance floor because of Jess, which was very sad. But I was also like, ha. Huh suck on it Rory like she's just so annoying and she was clearly it gave us a beautiful moment for the start montage though of them dancing and hugging in their 1940s it was cute and they had great outfits and Alexis Bledel is very beautiful but she she just she's just so annoying and she was so like pretending she was still in love with Dean when she was in love with Jess and she just really did it so annoyingly and I hate that she you know she constantly just plays on her cuteness and like when she goes to Dean's window this was like the Oh, the best Rory shutdown moment um, was when she goes to Dean's window in a, a couple of episodes into, I think, season four or something, like after her and Jess actually get together. And um, she goes to Dean's window and she's like, I just wanted to apologize. And she's like, I didn't come to your front door because your, your mum probably hates me. And like, you know, and then she's, he's like, I haven't told her yet. And she's like, well, you probably will tell her. Then she'll, then it'll be even worse. And she'll hate me even more because then she'll know that I was here and I did this awful thing. And then he's like, who cares, Rory? Someone doesn't like you. Like, you know, you're just going to have to deal with it. And it was the best. And then she's like, well, fair enough. She's like, um, well, I just want you to know that I'm really sorry. And hopefully one day that, you know, you just won't hate me. And he goes, yeah, I hope so too. It was just yes. like, oh, Burn. yes, Dean. And then he closes he closes the window and she's just sat outside, like on the tree. And you're just like, huh, eat shit, Rory. <laughs> Rory definitely had entitlement issues. She definitely had entitlement issues. And she was, like, told she was, like, really perfect. And so she really does struggle when she is rejected, both personally and professionally, because she just has been told by her Mm mum that, like, she's the best. Oh, she just plays on cutesiness so much. She just really annoys me. The only thing I have to say about Alexis Bledel is that she – in hand in a handmaid's tale is an amazing actress now in that show so I agree. she has redeemed herself she's meredith gray she's, she's meredith like... gray she's you know she's become a decent actress but i tell you what going back and watching those scenes of her just fills me again with just irritation for her <laughs> it's so funny yeah. that my favorite show of all time i can hate one of the main characters 
I think because she is like a foil for Lorelai. She gives Lorelai stuff to talk about. Yeah, she's literally Lorelai is the heart of the show. A conduit for Lorelai to be hilarious and have her rants. Exactly. Who's your favorite just random town person character? So obviously Kirk. Um, He's just so funny. Kirk is fantastic. He's just such a key staple in this show. He's in every episode. He's so funny. He's got a different job every episode. His one line is hilarious. Um, But also um, my... my other favorite character is Paris, um, and I'll, I'm going to play my favorite one-liner from her. Did you take a picture? No, Louise, I did not take a picture. I was a little busy trying to get air to my brain cells, a burden you've not yet faced. <laughs> <laughs> she's just she's the best. She's so ruthless and funny, and she's so bossy. But she's she's honestly she holds her own. Paris is fantastic. What about you? I it's a really random one but I really like Babette yes Babette is beautiful she's like just this random character she talks like she's got emphysema but there's this really funny <laughs> line I noticed when I was re-watching it where she's like look give me a bowl of shredded wheat with no milk to give me that husky voice <laughs> yeah <laughs> she is fantastic I like another episode that's like really cheesy but like quite beautiful which is the finale of the whole show which you've just said like lots of people hate it but I think like this little ending was really cute yeah it was Rory is graduating Yale so they decide to like throw her a party a graduation ceremony but then she's about to like get a job with Obama and she's like leaving that day so they're not going to be out half the party so Luke organizes like overnight he stays up all night it's raining, so he builds, like, this whole big undercover party, surprise party for Rory. Yeah. And the whole town's there. And it's kind of like a surprise party for Rory and a surprise party for the whole show because it's the finale. It is very cute. It is very cute. There's also a really nice moment between Lorelai and her parents. I just can't believe they did this for her. I don't think this is all for Rory. I think this party is a testament to you, Lorelai, and the home you've created here. It takes a a remarkable person to inspire all of this. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. I really... I really... Him saying he's proud of her. I struggled to watch um, back a lot of the moments of Lorelai. I mean, of its time, it is a sitcom, but she's very rude. And... um, her relationship with even her. the revival they're making fat jokes i'm like 2016 that was too late to be making fat yeah jokes. like i don't know she is very rude again of its time it, it was what it was and it wasn't as noticeable but you go back and it is very noticeable and sometimes like with her parents she's so rude to them and it seems a bit unnecessary other times they create fights that are really good and really they you know they really make you feel things like you feel like you're right in that fight and you totally get it and it's complicated and confusing um yeah but emily gilmore is definitely one of the gilmore girls like the relationship between them she's fantastic i absolutely love emily in fact um uh (laughs) this is another of my favorite moments of emily's I am going to Europe, Richard. I'm going to Europe and I'm going to have a marvellous time. I'm going to get up at ten and I'm going to have two glasses of wine at lunch every single day. Only prostitutes have two glasses of wine at lunch. Well, then buy me a boa and drive me to Reno because I am open for business. 
So this is your favourite show of all time. Is there any other little pieces of information you would like to share? I'm so glad you asked, Grace. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so basically a few people may have heard of this little show called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is just an absolutely gorgeous show by the same creators. It's kind of like the higher budget <laughs> version of Gilmore Girls set in the 50s. But actually, um, instead of uh, the main character hating her parents, she actually loves her parents. Um, the lady who plays Mrs. Maisel's offside, a best friend manager, is Alex Borstein. And she actually makes a few appearances in Gilmore Girls. She's a friend. So she was supposed to play Suki St. James. And ah. yes, and for whatever reason, she couldn't. I think she had other commitments or something. And, you know, obviously nobody knew how big this show would, would be. But she was still a friend of Amy Sherman Palladino's or, a, you know, someone who she really wanted to utilize. So she put her in several times the first time as a harp player in like season two. Oh, her yes she's the principal in um the lizzie mcguire movie lizzie mcguire movie yeah exactly so not important. she also pops up which you probably would never have expected but do you remember seeing her anywhere else grace anywhere else in the show no she plays miss celine who is the lady who dresses Emily Gilmore, who's like a really old lady. And she's like, oh, Emily, darling, you know, oh, Emily. And she dresses her like and puts her in fancy wow. outfits. So she's got like prosthetics on to make her look like an old lady. But it's actually Alex Borstein under all that. <laughs> that is a great fun fact. I also have some trivia, which I'm sure you know, but our listeners won't which is that the set for Stars Hollow has been used again to film other shows. So Pretty Little Liars uses the same town square yes. as Stars Hollow and also The Heart of Dixie. Yes, both, show, both shows I've seen. <laughs> and it's so obvious. Because of the set? <laughs> uh, yeah, literally because of the set. I wanted to see how they utilised it and put it in different scenarios. <laughs> But um, it is a beautiful. It set. is a gorgeous set, like the town square, the kind of fantastic nature of this little town. It's very cute. Uh, another piece of trivia, my final piece of trivia, is that uh, Sophie's music shop, where Lane finds her drum set, the lady who owns that called Sophie is Carol King, the woman who plays the theme song "Where You Lead." Yeah. So wait, she has a cameo. You're saying she's in it. She's in it for yeah. She's in it for like numerous episodes. She she comes into she's in it for like four or five episodes in season three. Um, she comes That's back hilarious. in season four. She also comes she's back in the in revival in as well. Yep. And yeah, um, yeah. Uh, when we get to recommendations today, I've got another beautiful piece uh, of Carol King uh, that will you will all enjoy. So. I love Stay Carol tuned. King. Loved the musical about Carol King. I want to hear that recommendation. But first, it's time for Hero of the Week. So my Hero of the Week this week is whoever invented the Blinding Lights Challenge on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> It's honestly I amazing. Agree. I love like everyone's renditions of it, um, and especially people I know, and they know who they are. <laughs> I agree. It's so hilarious, and like um, a grown man at my work sent a video of himself doing it, and it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so check oh, out TikTok. Brilliant. It's a bit confusing 
if you're an older person older than 24 to know how to find TikTok but just <laughs> google it yeah and click all the Google the Blinding Lights Challenge and there's just yes. heaps and heaps and heaps of renditions of the same choreography. It's just hilarious. Um, mine is a Sydney-born infectious disease expert, Sotius Tassadris, who has become the national hero of Greece for basically stopping the spread of COVID and stopping what happened in Spain and Italy happening in Greece. So he's a Sydney-born man that now lives in Greece. And, oh. yeah, Greek hero. Wow. That's really cute. So what did he do to curb the... So he is like um, an immunologist and a disease infection expert and he basically like warned the Greek government they needed to act really fast. That's awesome. All right, well, let's head to the country. story is Sydney inventor David Sue, who has basically learned how to grow a really good crop of vanilla spice from his smartphone. So what? he's yeah, he's invent <laughs> well, he still has a greenhouse, um, but he's invented a way through his smartphone to make sure that the growing conditions are perfect and can be really quickly adjusted from his phone and he's been able to grow three times faster than people that just grow in a normal plantation. Oh, so what does he do? Connect like the temperature gauges and stuff to his yeah, phone. Yeah, exactly. That is so cool. Moisture, temperature, everything all connected to his phone. So yeah, good little technology for farming innovation for vanilla spice, which is, you know, delicious. <laughs> That's so awesome. What about you? My story this week is a man called Michael Waite, who has been working to get Narakortis, local newspaper, up and running. And it's a small town in South Australia of just over 8,000 people. Previously, his job was running for the US Congress. Wow. Um, but, yeah, but then he moved back to Australia to his hometown in South Australia. Um, he basically said that there was nothing that we did in our lives when he was a kid that didn't seem to result, revolve around writing a story for the Herald. And um, so he, when he tried to take over the old newspaper, it seemed to be impossible. So he just created a new one. Um, and the old one has been out of print for, for some years. After, you, after years of being produced elsewhere, Narakuti's paper will now be produced in town by a little local print shop who's never actually printed a newspaper before. But they're very excited. That's awesome. <laughs> So cute. He said, this is really out of our, They, the little shop said, this is really out of our league, but we're very excited. Um, and his intention is to make a sustainable model for other country newspapers. So the, the, the aim is not to make a profit. And he said, we're looking to fill the gap and be here forever for as long as the community is willing to back us and support us. That's so, awesome. Is it available legend. digitally or are they just printing it? Well, they're just getting it started. I imagine it would be available digitally yeah you'd hope so because if their aim is sustainability probably the printing press is not their friend yeah yeah but also small town communities and things still actually do uh value printed newspapers and they still actually get a lot of their news from print so um, awesome yeah can be really good awesome all right well finally what about our recommendations So earlier in our Pyramid Scheme segment, Miranda mentioned the podcast, The Dream. So if you found today's episode interesting, you'll really enjoy The Dream. 
So basically the series weaves together the stories of people who have participated in multi-level marketing schemes. And it also talks about how the business model started and how they're still allowed to operate. And some really interesting episodes is when one of the producers goes undercover um, as a saleswoman for the Limelight brand. So yeah, if you want to hear more about what we talked about today, it's called The Dream. It's just a fantastic podcast. Like honestly, they delve into some really, really, um, some of the topics that we covered, but way, way, way more in depth. And um, they even get to the political um, associations and, um, you know, companies that have been brought down or attempted to be brought down. So it's fascinating listen. And season two has just dropped as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Great. Yep. (laughs) My first recommendation today is actually Pyramid Scheme related as well. It's a TV show available on SBS On Demand called On Becoming a God in Central Florida. And this is a show uh, starring Kirsten Dunst, our one and only Retro Carne Toro's cheerleader, um, (laughs) who plays an amazing, um, like, I suppose for want of a better word, sort of cliche trailer trashy character like she's um from a tough background um she kind of smokes a lot she's um she's she's just very rough and she works at a water park and basically her husband is obsessed with this pyramid scheme and it's set in 1992 and it's the business that they follow is called fam and it's all these just shitty products like toilet paper chemicals dish detergent like stuff like that um And it's kind of crazy, like the show does kind of get a little bit wacky from time to time, but it is based on pyramid schemes and some of it has factual basis. And Right, um, so is it like drama, comedy, like satire? I would call it a drama. But it's yeah. also but it's also a black comedy. So um right. some of the humor is quite like, whew, you know, but it's also done in such a sort of s- silly way. That, that it's a little bit funny um, and oh, just Kirsten Dunst is just so funny as her character in the show so seriously give it a give it give it a watch there's 10 episodes so it's a really good little standalone series I'm not sure if they're do, even doing it a season two my next one is actually really cool so an Australian woman has created a online political murder mystery game which is designed to be played with your friends oh my on god <laughs> Yeah, I played it last weekend with my sister, her partner and others. You can have around six or seven players. And basically the concept is it's set at a dinner party and everyone has a character which is a world leader. So there's Trump, Scott Morrison, the president (laughs) of Italy, South Korea, China. And you all meet at a dinner party to discuss coronavirus. (laughs) Everyone has something to hide. So you all have little secrets and then someone gets murdered and you have to figure out who did it. And it's so fun. And you also have little side challenges um, that you're trying to complete as well. And it was just a really cool and awesome that an Australian woman made it. So um, Google political murder mystery. I will put the link up in the show notes. That's awesome. I can't wait to play that. so fun. I actually have, yeah. a, <laughs> I have a game nights coming up, so um, I might suggest that Suggest one. it. Yeah. That yeah. sounds fantastic. What about you? So I'm going to squeeze in two more. I know I'm only allowed two, but I'm going to squeeze in two more. So the first one is a YouTube video. And based on all of the Gilmore Girls uh, deep dives that I did preparing for this episode, I just trawled YouTube for 
just little favorite moments and Carol King popped up a lot. And there's awesome. an amazing concert that's dedicated to Carol King, which I will put a link in the show notes. There was a concert in her honor and everyone was there. Like the Obamas were there. It was just this huge concert awesome. dedicated to Carol Carol King's amazing contribution to music. And so people sung her songs. People sung her songs, including this YouTube video, which is the one I'm recommending. Aretha Franklin singing You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, which was written by Carol King. And she's like 75 or something in this video. And you just watch Carol King watching Aretha sing her song and it is like the most powerful inspiring uh every time I watch this video I cry it's just it's it's magnificent that sounds awesome I love Carole King will you still (laughs) love me tomorrow is probably my favorite song of all time I reckon oh yeah like she's just she's epic and I just love how much she loves Aretha and like she's just this is like such an amazing honor for her um yeah, it's just awesome. it's so beautiful. Uh, and the other one that's related to Gilmore Girls, um, which is why I'm sneaking it in, is a podcast called The Gilmore Guys. And actually, the whole premise is that they recap each episode of The Gilmore Girls. And eventually they get to the end of The Gilmore Girls, like they do all seven seasons. So this podcast has been going on for some time. Wow. They even recap, they even recap the A Year in the Life. And this podcast got so big. They interview people um, – who were actors on the show, uh, producers. They they interview a ton of people and they actually have a cameo in A Year in the Life. My favourite moments on the podcast are the live recordings where they have the whole studio singing the theme song and themselves, which is, you know, just an homage to Gilmore Girls. To us. To us and our intro to this segment. To us and our intro to this seg- segment. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they're my recommendations seriously so good all of them awesome okay well thanks for joining us again for episode four and we'll see you next tuesday where we have an awesome episode planned so next week we'll be discussing the ethics of reality tv and we'll also be talking about another little reality show called the office <laughs> <laughs> so see you next tuesday everyone Please note that the views expressed within this podcast are our own and we are not experts. We have done some serious Googling and even some serious internet deep dives, but we are by no means qualified. If you need actual advice, please speak to a licensed professional. We can even help you Google one.